0: Welcome to Change Making Connections, the podcast where transformative talks on social justice, leadership, and beyond become more than just words. I'm your host, Beth Barilla. Each month, I invite a global change leader to talk with me about the strategies and tactics that they use to cultivate deep transformation in their lives, their communities, and their organizations. Tune in to Change-Making Connections for your monthly dose of inspiration and insight. Let's create a ripple of change together. Hello, and welcome to Changemaking Connections, a podcast where we explore with change leaders about how to support deep transformation in our lives, communities, and organizations. I'm your host, Beth Barilla. Each month, I talk with changemakers about the joys and challenges, the strategies and possibilities in working for social justice in a variety of contexts, since we need it all. Today, I'm so excited to be talking to Carrie Kelly, someone who's inspired me for a long time. Um, you can Read the full amazing bio of Carrie's work in the show notes. But Carrie is an activist, wellness disruptor, and the high profile, well connected founder of Citizen Well, a movement that is democratizing well being for all. She spent seven years as executive director of the nonprofit Off the Mat into the World, which is how I crossed paths with her. And recently, she's written the amazing book, American Detox The Myth of Wellness and How We Can Truly Heal. There's so much more to say, but I want to give space to the conversation. So Carrie, welcome. Thanks for being here.
1: I'm so happy to be here. The excitement is mutual.
0: Yay. So I've been following your work for a long time, including through this book. But tell me a little bit about where your work is leading you today. How does mm. change agent work showing up for you right now?
1: I loved what you were saying about um, uh, deep transformation. And I, I honestly feel like Depth work, depth education, depth conversations is where my path and my work, my practice is leading me. And by depth, I mean just like not binary. Not simple, not, uh, fix it solutions, but, um, these more sort of complex, even contradictory truths that we're being confronted with and asked to embody and, and confront and navigate, um, in the world right now. And, and so that's where my personal practice has been, especially coming out of writing American Detox. You know, you write a book, you know, this because you've written a book, you write a book, you think you're going to be like more, brilliant and clear (laughs) and confident after you write a book. And for me, at least it just opened up more questions. And so, so much that has emerged since I've written the book has been really challenging myself and those who work with me, walk with me, play with me is really like, okay, now how do we embody, how do we practice this, this field, if you will, of detox, of deconstruction, of dismantling that which we have inherited, and also really recovering ourselves, recovering our, our mind-body connection, but recovering our relationship, recovering our imagination, right? Recovering a possibility and creativity that lies beyond, you know, the limitations of what we've been conditioned to to believe and to know. And so that's really been a big part of my focus now. And I don't know what that means. You know, I'm sure people have very like buttoned up (laughs) product oriented (laughs) answers. And I'm just sort of like, wow, like I really want to like ask harder questions, practice more deeply, challenge myself and other people, especially given what we're coming up against every day in the world, right? It just feels like the problems are becoming more complex. The challenges are becoming much more intense, uh, the holding of the many, you know, the pace and the sequence, the simultaneity of all of these sort of intersecting, if you will, uh, crises, I think are challenging us to, to be in a different way. And so that's really where I'm putting a lot of my attention
0: right now. Mm, wow. So much there that I got really excited about. Um, I heard some themes that I'd love to dive into. Um, the idea of holding contradictory truths, uh, and I wonder if that can be connected to embodied practice or how it can be connected to embodied practice. You also talked about depth and like, what does that mean to go deep in the practice of this work? So, Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I'll just say you know, and I'm, and I want to also just admit that I'm, I'm learning it every day, right? Oh, it's sure. very, yeah. as we all, as we all are And anyway, you know, the minute I, I, I say, I think I know a thing is like the moment the universe is like, you actually don't <laughs> know anything. And <laughs> right. so I know better, you know, it's taken me 48 years on this planet to be like, oh, I know, I know better than to claim to know anything. But, you know, I, I think you're right, you know, embracing or navigating contradiction on a conceptual level or a cognitive level, is really myopic and mm. and limiting and so I'll give you an example today and I'm going to time stamp this but uh, you know we're learning about what's happening in Maui the fires in Maui and I've been to Maui a number of times to facilitate to vacation uh to like be with the land <laughs> to restore and to heal I'm listening right to the locals and to the indigenous people and what they're asking for right they're saying please don't Please don't come here. Right. We are overpopulated. The land, the resources, the infrastructure cannot sustain this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm sharing that information, but I'm not just sharing that information and that wisdom so that we can learn from it. I'm actually having to do some like reckoning with myself around how I'm implicated in that. Mm -hmm. Right. And how I'm a part of the problem and the legacy of colonialism and extractive capitalism, extractive tourism, over tourism, the way that we move around and take Without thinking, I have, I'm a part of that. That's conditioned into my body. So I can't just think about the idea of not doing that again because it's my body, my behavior, right? That's been complicit mm-hmm. in that system. And so that's why the body to me is like the focal point, right? I just, because the moment I think I've changed my mind about something, if I'm distracted, if I'm afraid, if I'm insecure, my body will do the thing it is conditioned to do. It will all <laughs> always default. Yeah. And so to me the the opportunity the aperture for real deep change transformational change is actually getting in the body and trying to understand and unpack the ways in which the body is patterned and mm-hmm. shaped, right? And conditioned mm-hmm. By, by dominant culture, by trauma, by the, the broader social context that we're a part of. Because if we think we can bypass that and just think our way out of these mm-hmm. moments, I, I just know that that's just actually not true. And so anyway, so that's an example, right, of like, to me, and I'm doing a lot of work right now with Vanessa Andriati, who wrote this incredible book called Hospicing Modernity. And she really cha- she's really challenging us to feel into our complicity, right? To like, mm-hmm. to to like, to to embody it on like a felt sense, right? Not to be conceptual about the ways in which we might be responsible, but to really like feel into like, what does that feel like in our body? And then how do we navigate those feelings so that we can transmute them into something that's more productive and hopefully less harmful, right? As we continue to em- embody the contradictions of what it is to be someone, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Who's yearning for liberation and yet deeply situated, deeply implicated inside a dominant system that I benefit from. Right. And yeah. so I'm I'm like wrestling with that, reckoning with that all the time, every day. And and what happened in Maui was a, another really great invitation to mm-hmm. feel into that. Like, like that was me. I did that.
0: Yeah, that's what a depth of exploration and practice. And the viewers won't necessarily see this video, but when you were talking, there was this back and forth somatically with your body. And it resonated. I noticed it partly because it resonated with me in terms of how I navigate contradictions and um, what happens when my felt patterns arise in ways that don't align with who and how I want to be in the world. I can imagine some listeners going, yeah, I totally get it. And other listeners going, what do you mean by practice and body? <laughs> um, right. And so I wonder, since uh, you and I, I think, both hold some similar privileged identities and then some different identities in the world, I wonder what it's like on an individual level, and then we can talk about a structural change level of doing that reflection of how we've been complicit
1: mm-hmm. and
0: moving towards liberation. Like, mm-hmm. what? How, how does our practice help us stay with that and move through and metabolize. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I'll start with how we've been shaped, right? Because I find that, and it sounds more neutral and yet we know that this is not in any way, shape or form, neutral. Um, and this is a lot of what I was exploring when I wrote American Detox for myself. It was like like a peeling of an onion for myself of like, what are all of the layers, right? That have shaped me into who I am today. And that, sh- and, and what are the ways in which that shaping continues to express itself, right? Through words and relationship and actions and behaviors and service. And so that was a big... In, I don't even know if that was the inquiry I went into American detox with to be perfectly honest but that was the inquiry I lived into while I was writing and it's most certainly the inquiry I'm living into now because I don't know that I have any more clarity except that it's deep you know and complex and messy and so the inquiry around how have we been shaped right challenges us, to understand the social context that we are a part of right which is also not a simple conversation right it's relative to where you live what country you live in what state you live on it's relative to uh, your um, your ancestral uh, lineage right it's relative to your your class status right it's relative to so many your physical ability your your mental ability or inability or disability and so there's so many different dimensions often the way that I describe it is it's like a prism like we're all prisms right being um shaped into this particular expression which is not neutral and I would argue maybe even not natural right not in its current form right it's very much constructed and molded right of a, a dominant culture a culture that has been constructed and created by those in power and so often when i'm when i'm thinking about my own shaping i think about my, my racial identity, being a white bodied person. I think about my class identity. I think about how I grew up and where I grew up. I'm a New Yorker, right? So there's like a lot of shaping that came from the the family, the community, the culture that I grew up with in New York. I think about my body image, right? And, and how that's experienced and perceived, right? And the privileges that come along with being thin privileged. I think about ability and disability of which I have both. Um, I think about citizenship. I think about education right and so there's so many different layers right to this inquiry and depending on how you answer those questions these categories if you will right of difference situate us in a particular particular place right in this very dynamic system right of privilege and oppression and with that right with that location i call that social location is sort of the way that we talk about that often in the movement comes a particular kind of patterning, shaping, right? Um, We internalize messages based on where we're located from dominant culture. Uh, Bobby Hero, who's an incredible sociologist who um, uh, designed and, and wrote a tool called the cycle of socialization talks about how not only are we shaped, but we are trained to play our assigned roles right? in this dynamic system of oppression. And so the more I unpacked that for myself, the the more I realized that it wasn't like I was self-governed, but I was being governed in many ways by my training, my socialization, my shaping, my proximity to privilege and to power, all of the ways in which I benefit and how I've internalized, right? That value system into my body, into my belief system in ways that I was really unconscious of, quite frankly. So this shaping, I think, is is sort of related to, to what you were describing, which is like depending on how we're shaped, right, that exposes how we are impacted right and implicated by these unequal systems and for me i'm implicated in a lot of ways just by virtue of how i was born into the world right with no choice of my own and it's not innocent and i've been complicit i've participated i've been compliant and i still do to this day you know and that's part of the contradiction i think that i i have to wrestle with all the time it's it's not like you get educated you become aware and then you graduate and you're no longer complicit <laughs> you know we're still very much situated inside of these really unjust and unequal systems and so we have to navigate uh, not just like the awareness of of that mm-hmm. but the way in which the body has to move through these systems on an ongoing basis, even with the awareness that we're implicated and we're benefiting or, or that we're, or that we're marginalized. Right. And, and impacted, right. Depending on where we're located along that spectrum. And so reckoning with complicity has been really challenging for me. I mean, it comes with like a lot of shame and discomfort, dissonance, sometimes defensiveness, sometimes resistance. And what's been really helpful for me has been in in, in being in relationship with people like you and other people who have kind of taken the charge right out of this conversation so that we can actually just start to name <laughs> own right own and name the ways in which we're implicated and and impacted which i think all of us are in really different and disproportionate ways and by exposing it and bringing it to the surface right with less resistance perhaps right mm-hmm. I think that gives us more capacity to actually work with it in the moment to move with it, right. To heal, right. Some of what's been um, held back, right. Or hidden because of it. And so that's sort of been my practices. And like I said, relationship has been really helpful in that because the more I surround myself by people who are Mm -hmm. also willing to expose those parts of themselves out loud, right? Yeah. Courageously, the the more sort of permission I feel to do that within myself, and you, and it's like a muscle, right? Like you build yeah. that muscle. The more you practice, the more capacity, strength, resilience that muscle has to keep going and to kick in when you least expect it. And so I'm really committed to kind of working. And I love the I love using sort of the muscle analogy because I, I think it's a lot of of how capacity building works, but I also, it reminds me that this work is embodied, right? That it's in the body that the shaping is not just shaping my body, but shaping my behaviors, my, my, my limitations, my perceptions, my worldview, my interactions, right. My, responses my my coping mechanisms and so it it invites me to be curious
0: about right the the expression and manifestation of all of that what a rich conversation and it resonated with me a lot because i've like you done quite a bit of somatic and embodied work because i was turning to places that could help me better understand the embodied nature of these shifts Uh, I had for too long been caught in my head and that only got me so far and is also a manifestation of white supremacy, as you say in your book, as so many people say. And by the way, for listeners, we'll put some of the references that Carrie mentioned in the show notes. One of the things that I have found is that my embodied awareness has helped me. Be with the range of reactions that arise when I start to face that complexity, which can include all the things you named, the shame, the defenses, the guilt, can also include grief, anger, frustration, confusion, not knowing what to do, and to just allow those to be and figure out where and how to be accountable to them, where action is useful, where action is not useful, given my location, which actions might be useful when I need to sit with myself and to really see it as a, well, you've been talking about process all along, right? That, um, that the book opened a process You used language like living into, it is in fact a process. And for me, one reframe I've had given that I was such a like, productivity person, I resonated a lot with your like, get those A's, accomplish those things. (laughs) Um, There's also something really beautiful in the idea that it will be a lifelong process and it will be co-created when we can. I love in your book that you talk regularly about shifting from the me to the we and that what happens when that shaping is shifted, not just individually, but collectively so that we can more authentically be with one another in a way that current power systems really block.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the rubber really hit the, met the road for me. What is it called? The rubber meets the rubber. The rubber really met the road for me when I started to take inventory of what these patterns, right. um, And systems were costing me. So like you were talking about productivity. I write a lot about perfectionism. I write a lot about individualism and self-sufficiency in the book because I really bought into a lot of those myths. Right. And I was rewarded for it. You know, I was a first class overachiever growing up and I got like lots of A's and people patted me on the back for it. And so, so like I started to associate, like if I work nonstop, if I overdeliver, deliver, if I'm hyper productive, if I try to be perfect, right, I'm gonna get rewarded for it in dominant culture, in society. And so it was hard for me to unravel that or, or yeah. to like reverse that. And the thing that got me questioning whether or not those things were true was what it was costing me for the most part. Like the, the biggest costs, I think, for a lot of these systems for me were in relationships. Like, I, like I was losing a lot of relationships or, or many of my relationships were, were being compromised or strained. Or, I was causing harm mm-hmm. in, my, in what I thought was the thing I was supposed to do right and and so and then, even when i didn 't think it was the thing I was supposed to do, my body would do it anyway, mm-hmm. right because it 's really hard to unlearn that right at the level of body, and so I think you 're absolutely right, like reckoning with these things, unpacking them, unraveling them, unlearning them. I don't even know that we can do it alone, right? And that kind of shift from the me to the we, mm-hmm. the gift of mirroring and reflection that's present in relationship, good and not mm-hmm. so great relationships, was really helpful for me in starting to see the real toxicity of these mm-hmm. behaviors and that they weren't just like gross to other people, but they were kind of fucking me up. Yeah. And they were costing me yeah. a lot. Things that I really value, and that's when I really started to, I think, reckon the the cost of this is higher than what it's worth, right? And so I, and that was really helpful, inspiring me to be in choice, right, and mm-hmm. slowing down, and starting to really like pick apart my behavior so that I can uh, choose to do something different and practice something different. And look, to this day, I forget, right? Especially yeah. when I'm burned out, you know, or scared. Mm-hmm. You know, which I am all the time given what's happening in the world. And so I have to like practice like really rigorously in order to stay connected to the part of me that can discern. Yeah. That knows, right? And I loved what you were saying about like how like when you slow down, you can actually witness the myriad right of responses that emerge. And one of the things I've been able to do, and I'm trying to practice this more often with myself, is that often it's not just negative responses or coping mechanisms right that like simultaneously with resistance and defensiveness sometimes is like relief
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know and 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 tenderness yeah. and i never gave myself a chance to notice those things and so i'm mm. trying to allow for as i i start I, as i bear witness to myself and to the messiness mm-hmm. the many you know Vanessa calls it like the many people on my bus right like there's just uh. lots of people on my bus and they they all have different personalities and they're all holding a different position on the bus right mm-hmm. and if i can if i can zoom out right i can actually hold space for all of them And on that bus are joyful individuals, Mm -hmm. on that Mm -hmm. bus are hopeful individuals, on that bus are like older, wise, sage individuals. The pace at which I think I was moving prevented me from living into those parts of myself and and inviting Mm -hmm. them to come forward more. And so I'm just like really trying to honor that I'm more complex than I gave myself credit for. And that embodiment and, practice is really revealing yes. that for me.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And really that co-created more liberatory world that some of us really hope for is going to need all those parts, right? To co-create it and then to exist. So like living into those parts brings us closer.
1: I think, totally. If
0: we all get to be able to do that, which then leads me to, we're talking, uh, I think it, this practice does have to happen on an individual level and- It also happens in relations with each other and also structures. Like I'm increasingly thinking about the nervous systems of organizations and structures and how wider culture. I'm seeing a lot of this push and pull and quite a bit of backlash, um, but also quite a bit of laboratory, um, amazing community work. So I'm curious, you're such a leader in public spaces in a lot of different ways. How can we take some of the these lessons how have you noticed any of these insights translating into structural change work or group change work
1: and when you say backlash you're talking about like dei backlash and liberatory backlash like in institutions is that what you mean yes yeah 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 Yeah. you know it's funny i've been talking a lot about this over the last couple of days in particular you know i think and i feel like you've already like landed this theme but i think that we need to normalize that the trajectory or the journey is not linear is like one thing i want to say and i think you know within institutions right especially there's an expectation that you have to grow like this and advance a particular thing or else it's a failure and everything that i'm learning about transformational change and deep change is yeah. that it is not linear and you should prepare yourself for going two steps forward and two steps back all the time or going in circles, right? Which is actually more natural. in many ways. And so, so that's one of the things that I'll say, it's a tolerance that I think we need to build Mm -hmm. as individuals who work inside of institutions, right? Because individual people make up institutions and systems. So they're Mm -hmm. not separate. We're shaping and co-creating the spaces that we are a part of while those spaces are shaping us. Right? So there's like, there's two, you know, it's like inside out all the time, right? It's, it's inter, it's constant, it's a, there's a constant play. And so we have to bring an awareness of that, I think, into the space, because it means that we both need to be responsible for ourselves, and for our own healing, and for our our behavior, and our complicity, right, and our contribution, and we need to be actively engaged in the way in which we're doing things differently, we're interacting differently, we're shaping culture, we're we're shifting policies and um, structures, so that's one thing I'll say, and I just, I feel like I, like, if I work with any institution now, or company, or organization, or even just group, I need to level set that up front, like, I need to be like, Mm let's like, we're gonna, we're gonna work with this assumption. And I'm gonna have to remind you of this, when things start to fall yeah. apart, because yeah. they will, right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, because um one of my favorite quotes ever, is this quote by Cynthia Ocelli. I'm going to try and remember it. And it goes, for a seed to achieve its highest potential, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks, the insides fall out. And, I, and then she says something like, and for someone who doesn't understand transformation, it would seem like total destruction. And so I say that mm-hmm. because if you're interested in deep change, not incremental change, not surface change, like deep, long-term, sustainable shifts, mm-hmm. you have to know that there's going to be a process of unraveling. Yeah. Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams calls it unbecoming. She's like, We're not That's becoming, true. we're unbecoming, right? We're in the detox phase of this journey, we're in the dismantling, the deconstructing, right? Yeah. And so understanding that that is how transformation works. And look, we can just look to nature to know that that is true. Everywhere in nature teaches us that lesson. But if we come with that wisdom, then the deconstructing, the falling apart, right? The groundlessness, as Pema Chodron describes it, isn't as disorienting. Right. And so anyway, so I just think that like if we can start to work with some of these sort of transformational norms even in institutional spaces and get mm. folks to become more comfortable and anticipate that this is a part of the the process then i think we're going to we're going to get further now i think one of the things that i've been holding one of the questions i've been holding for myself and it's always a question i think in group mm. spaces is what does growth look like yeah in a transformational context, right? Like, how do we know we're growing? And I ask myself that all the time because sometimes I don't feel like I'm growing, you know, and it's messy. So it like doesn't, you know, it's not the kind of growth that we learned about or that we were conditioned to appreciate, right? Or celebrate. Sometimes growing is slowing down. Sometimes growing, right, is standing still, right? Sometimes growing is softening and letting Mm -hmm. things go. And that was really hard for me Mm -hmm. to grapple with. And even today, like I really have to like remind myself that this is essential, right? To Mm -hmm. moving in the direction of, which is sort of how I talk about growth. I'm like, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the destination (laughs) is, but am I moving forward?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Am I a step forward than I was yesterday, you know, or last year? Um, and how do I know? What does it feel like? And then I think accountability plays into that too, right? Mm-hmm. What are the, what can the people that you work with and that you play with, that you collaborate with, that you create with, that you resist with, like what can they tell you about the ways in which they're feeling you? Yeah. And if yeah. they're and what they're seeing around where you're at and what you need, I think that that's why relationship is so essential.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: If it were up to me, I'd be a mess, and I'd be like, you know hiding in a corner, <laughs> you know, assuming that I've failed everything, mm-hmm. you know, and thank God there are people in my life that are like, no, 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 you're just, you're in the pupa. You're just, you know, you're just in a, in a phase of transformation that's quieter. It's more subtle. It's not as obvious. It's maybe introverted and introspective. And it was hard for me to appreciate that part of the process. And it still is, you know, I, I would uh-huh. say that's a stage I'm in right now and it's been really challenging. and and kind of intolerable, you know? Yeah. And so I have to keep reminding myself that Mm -hmm. this is a part of it and I need to stay, Mm -hmm. not run, not try to outproductive it, you know, not try to do what I used to do, but actually like stay with the discomfort and listen.
0: Because if growth is defined by the old shaping, the hyper-productivity, the capitalist, right? Then that's counter to what the liberatory model we're talking about, a world we're talking about. And if deep transformation requires an unraveling, then dropping unused, unuseful parts of ourselves or, or some chaotic messiness is in some ways growth. Totally. Um, as you said, we don't know what's on the other side necessarily, yeah. partly because we're not there yet, partly because we need to co-create it as a society. Um, And I love that you said something earlier about being in the unknown, because I think that is also a practice, being able to be with that knowing. And of course, people with privileged identities have the access to knowing in the old model, but we're working with trying to develop different models of being that requires some unknowing and some co-creating and some messiness as we go. But it's also a really beautiful, rich, healing, potentially healing process, I think especially if we can get the support and the relationality just to be with it, right?
1: I think it could also be an indicator of growth, right? Like one of the Mm -hmm. things I'm practicing is to be suspicious of like the goals that I know that I'm setting for myself or for the work or for others, right? Mm -hmm. Because I actually think if we wanna move in the direction of possibility, Mm -hmm. then it's likely that stuff hasn't existed yet. And so, when we like plan a particular outcome or destination and attach to it, and right, like that can be really limiting, right? It can prevent us from actually seeing this sort of possibility or these many possibilities, right, beyond the thing that is familiar to us or that we're used to or that's comfortable. And so, I'm I'm trying to like practice suspicion, right? I know Uh that's such like a funky word, but like I think there's like healthy suspicion. I practice that with myself, especially as a person of privilege all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm always suspicious of my tendencies. Like, is this whiteness Mm -hmm. operating or is this, you know, Um, but I think we can also associate that practice with, I don't want to call it like goal setting, but even like any way in which we future trip, right. It's like, yeah how do we provide direction and practice forward without becoming myopic with what's possible what which mm-hmm. might with with what might emerge which might be quite frankly beyond everything we could ever imagine yeah, at totally. this point so anyway so I'm trying to practice that too and I find it really really hard to do anything Right. To like plan anything. So I'm trying to practice experimentation. Like, okay, let's set a, like a soft goal, but not attached to it. See what happens. And I will say that like when we discover new things that we never could have imagined, Mm -hmm. it's kind of exciting. You're like, oh my God. Totally. totally. That is, we just learned a thing, you know, uh-huh. and then we can pivot. It's a bit of, you know, it's like, it's very much a live wire, uh-huh. I think, living in the unknown, because you have no control. And so many of us, especially those of us trained, you know, in uh-huh. dominant culture, have been trained to control everything. Mm -hmm. and to distrust any lack of control and so that I think it's just like a new move it's a new move how do we be in integrity right how do we be in rigor and practice I'm not saying be like flailing but like how do we put one step in front of the other how do we uh you know create like principles of movement that Mm -hmm. sort of guide but how do we allow for the future state to be wide open Mm -hmm. And undiscovered. And I also want to say, you know, the irony is that a lot of, I think, what is so-called undiscovered has been known by Indigenous communities mm-hmm. for all of time. Yeah. And yeah. so there's that piece too. I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. like how colonizers were like, we just discovered a thing, right? That was right. already very much mm-hmm. inhabited and stewarded and cared for. And un- I also want to be cautious of that but this but the celebration and the wonder and the awe that comes mm-hmm. with like letting shit go, letting go of control, letting go of having to arrive in a particular kind of place and allowing it to emerge and and teach us is I think a really cool practice mhm
0: mm-hmm. it's also a very different model of leadership than some people have been, than dominant culture has been um, conditioned to embody. I notice as you're talking about it, there's a lot of we, there's a lot of moving into your back body as though you're Yeah, Um, surrounded by community, you know, leading together. And then the future is in front that everyone is co-creating. Um, like your whole body is invoking that as well Mm -hmm. as your words. It's one of the kinds of models of like feminist leadership that I've been working with some people to, you know, teach students and others to develop that there's a stagnation to a particular control oriented leadership model, though there are lots of leadership models out there. but the one you're talking about is collective, it's relational, it's allowing for emergence, it's allowing for alchemy to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think also this, like, there are some places where it's appropriate to lead and other places where maybe it's not, depending on our yeah. power relations, our identities, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We could go there and go ahead. You took a breath. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to share with you that because you, you like had me then reflecting on my own somatics and mm. I am a leaner forwarder. <laughs> just made that word up. I also want to say that often when you're like becoming aware of your patterns, some of the contradiction is like your patterns may have like very successfully moved you through the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. like Absolutely. you know, there is a like lean forward part of me that I love and I appreciate mm-hmm. And there's a part of that also that is running away from the past that doesn't trust Mm -hmm. where I come from, right? That's trying to like manifest and that's urgent, that wants Mm -hmm. to know, right? And I've had a lot of somatic teachers in my life encourage me to lean back. Mm It's funny because it was like when lean in was coming up, you know, the move, the lean in movement Mm -hmm. and all my teachers were like, no, (laughs) just (laughs) don't lean in lean back and by leaning back it's like leaning back into memory leaning back into the wisdom that i come from leaning back into the ancestors and and leaning back into trust right and mm-hmm. and so much of my lean my conditioned lean forward stance has been shaped by not trusting Uh, Not trusting others, not trusting that I'll be taken care of, not trusting that people will do what we need them to do. And so anyway, so I just share that too, Mm -hmm. that like the body offers so much wisdom and clarity and teaching around some of our like tendencies, like our dominant Uh tendencies and our dominant patterns that are holding us back from the wholeness, right? Of who we are. And I was missing an entire part of myself Mm. right at my back that Mm. I really have to like now intentionally practice. So much of my practice now is leaning back, letting even my head be supported and held. And that's a really profound state of like remembering trust, right? Remembering yeah. resourcing, remembering support, and remembering that we come from people, that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we are yeah. not alone. Anyway, so I just wanted to share that because mm-hmm. you made me think of that. And the body just teaches so much that the mind cannot comprehend.
0: Yes, absolutely. That reminds me, I did a generative somatics uh, training Mm -hmm. many years ago, and one of the practices, it sounds like you've been through similar um, experiences. One of the practices were people from the cohort standing behind you and cheering Mm -hmm. you on and supporting you, and I had the hardest time with that. I did not expect to have that difficulty with it it seems like it would be automatically like hey that would be a good thing but somatically i just i couldn't lean back into it and it was so revealing you know then it became a practice because there are also yeah. good things i love one of the things that general somatics and strozy talk about in terms of our learned patterns and conditioned tendencies yeah. that them they're well earned right we don't have to demonize them they try to take care mm-hmm. of us and they may no longer serve how we want to be in the world all the time yeah. anyway So I'm also mindful of time, Um, and one of the things that I really want for this podcast is for the people who are conversation partners like yourself to bring a question or topic themselves, so it's not just me setting the terms, although we've already gone off script, as I knew we were through a provocative conversation. (laughs) Um, But one of the questions you asked or posed is a really beautiful one um, that maybe we could spend some time talking about. I'll just read it. One of my favorite questions for people you write is how do you learn in public or more specifically, how do you model mistake making out loud in a way that moves us towards a culture of grace and accountability?
1: Ooh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I came up with that question because you asked one of the questions in our prep doc around mm-hmm. like, what does leadership mean to you? And I really yeah. sat with that. like, What does that mean to me now in this particular yeah. moment? And in a big way, it means modeling the messiness growth and modeling it out loud so that we can bring other people along and also like take the shame and the charge out of it. And I just want to say, I have a lot of amazing teachers in my life that do this really well. Nikki Myers is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Nadia Bolts Weber calls it, I'll go first when when she's learning in public adrian marie brown talks a ton about this mm-hmm. and so anyway so i'm really trying to practice it what it looks like to either expose our mistakes or to make our which is which is one thing but to make our mistakes in real time mm. <laughs> out loud in the moment when we haven't like processed it and metabolized it and packaged it up into something and tied a bow on it right. is really challenging. And yet it feels really essential to to what we're calling in as leaders, right. To like centering our humanness and our vulnerability and to also like finding some balance between grace and accountability, right. That we can be both accountable and give ourselves grace at the same time. My friend, Mark Gonzalez taught me that there can be this balance between the two that allows us to be our whole selves, right. Mm -hmm. In public with one another and in relationship with one another. And so I'd love to hear what you have to say about that because, and when I, and I'll I'll just say, when I see people do that, Mm -hmm. I'm like, that is power. Yeah. When I see people do that and not shrink and not Mm -hmm. be knocked off. Right. But still have their feet on the ground, still be in their body, still be in relationship. I'm like, wow, that is hardcore leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really trying to practice that for myself that when I do a thing or when I know I've done a thing or when someone tells me I've done a thing, like I lean all the way into that in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. all of my faculties. And I try to live through that in the moment. And obviously that's not always possible all the time, but that's some of the muscle that I'm working Mm. on. So I'd love to hear it from Mm -hmm. you. Like, what have you seen? That's like a beautiful expression of that. Or how do you navigate that? Mm.
0: I do think the vulnerable process of being present and accountable for mistakes as you make them is really, really important. And it's something that I've tried to do, especially in my teaching. Sure. um, Because I think it models a process that I think many of us need to learn to develop the muscle for, to use your language, which I also like. Sometimes I try to name what's happening, like, oh, I'm starting to sweat, or, oh, all of my inner critic just came up, or, oh, I find myself wanting to run out of the room. And that is something that I need to be cautious of, because I don't want to do it in a way that makes other people in the room take care of me, but just yeah. to notice that it's coming up and that I don't have to necessarily act on it. Years ago, I would have like acted on it and it would have spiraled, and then it would have been the shame-guilt spiral that really didn't do anybody any good. These days, I have more capacity most of the time to slow it down depends on the scope and the nature of the mistake and the context and how well rested I am and all those things. But trying to name it and not know necessarily the answer for it. Um, Sometimes if it's a situation that's appropriate, sometimes I bring some humor in, oh, there she is again. There's that, you know, (laughs) perfectionist thought we handled that. (laughs) Other times it's just like this sadness or grief. And just sometimes it's not knowing, but open to possibilities of like, what are some other ways of doing this? I I don't have all the answers and I shouldn't have all the answers. When I see people do it in the moment, it's deeply transformative and it does give permission to me, to other people, to be able to model that. You're also
1: making me think about how I I loved what you just said about like, I name what's happening in my body Mm. because it's like rare to never that something isn't happening in my body Mm -hmm. when I become aware of something like that. And I think like I've learned, and I don't always say this to people, but I think Mm. I, I know to like uncross my legs, put my Mm. feet on the ground, take Mm -hmm. a breath, right? Like, like I'm going to need all of my Uh resources (laughs) to be present for this. And also like as a space holder, right? And I know Uh you have this too. The same goes for if something is happening in a room that I'm facilitating or holding space for, or just in a room that I'm in. If I see something Mm -hmm. happen where I'm like, oh, something has just happened, right? Like the energy has shifted. I I will do the exact same thing. I'll sit up Right. I'll mm-hmm. center myself. I'll plant my feet on the floor. Like I'll like get, re- I almost almost like you ready yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do we ready our bodies? And it's funny because I was just, I was in school this past weekend and someone was talking about whiteness as a stance. Right. And we talk a ton about, right. in some in yeah. the somatic world about stance in sure. kind of the positive sense of it, but that like, there's also like an embodied stance of whiteness Mm -hmm. and individualism and scarcity, you know, and coloniality. And so like starting to recognize those stances in ourselves and those shapes, right. When I'm in resistance, right. When I'm digging my heels in Mm -hmm. and how, and how to like sort of unwind that, right. So that I have more access to the other parts of myself. And so the body really gives me the breadth. To do that, much more so than the mind. My mind is yes. like in those moments. My mind is like not available. <laughs>
0: right, right. It's
1: offline.
0: Yeah. And the I like how you said the uh, how you were talking about some of the stances and shapes we, that are maybe not helpful or that are learned shapes yep. that are not going to lead us where we necessarily want to go. And also the moves you make, which I also make. I'm looking out my window right now because yeah. the tree is a resource for me. Totally. Um, putting my feet on the floor taking a deep breath um, doing something because part of what that does for me is reconnect me with the deeper wisdom that can be bigger than the reactions that are happening and that are more aligned with how i'd like to be and they still might not have the answer but i have a deeper trust that that self, that whole wiser self, that encompasses the messy reaction, but is bigger than the messy reaction. That's right. Even if I don't know the answer, I will show up with more compassion and skillfulness from that place. Yeah. Um, and it's always a practice to return to that. Yeah. which sometimes is accessible to me and sometimes isn't. But yeah. um, those <laughs> somatic moves you named are ones that help me connect. Yeah, Thank you for that. I could talk to you forever. Oh my um, gosh. We are almost out of time. I did want to close with got questions from guests about either insights for a future self 10, mm-hmm. 20 years from now, or things you'd like to tell to a younger self about their possibility, about change making, whatever feels alive for you right now.
1: I feel like I would want to tell my younger self that if you make a mistake, people won't leave you, that people won't abandon you. I think somewhere along the way, I tied those two things together and to make a mistake was to be left or to be abandoned or rejected. And so... Something about something relational about like, you know, it's okay to make people will love you even when you make mistakes is something that I wish I knew on a more felt level (laughs) when I was growing up, because that would have changed a lot for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Me too. Um,
1: Right. (laughs) What I want to tell my future self is I'm really, really working on the part of me that gets to be joyful and hopeful, particularly because I'm really, really good at raging against the machine, as you know. Like I'm really good at fighting, I'm really good at disobedience, I'm really good at resistance and, and, and that the world muscle-
0: needs that.
1: Of course, and <laughs> yes. and it does, but it doesn't need it when it's not actually accompanied yeah. by appreciation and joy and Mm -hmm. acceptance and tenderness and dance has been a really big part Mm -hmm. of my life recently and for my whole life but in particular it's become really symbolic of what it is to live fully in these times right Mm -hmm. to like dance one of my mentors Taj James talks about like we have to like dance our way to the apocalypse you know what I mean like we have to dance dance the revolution. And I think there's lots of metaphors for what that could look like. It doesn't mean you have to tango dance or, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, it's not linear. It's not prescribed. It's unique to each individual and it's embodied, right? It's full, Mm -hmm. it's big, it's expressive, it's unapologetic. And so I'm really just trying to like use that movement modality As a a container for how I explore that for myself. And so like, I want to be like 95 and I want to be like (laughs) dancing even while the world is burning and collapsing. Mm. You know, I'll be like working that side of it too. But I I want to know that I get to be a whole person. Yes. Through whatever is coming and wherever we're going. And I want that for everyone, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Like I want us all to recover ourselves, to like be able to have the full, our full capacity, our whole capacity to face whatever is next, not just with like rigor and fierceness, but with joy and with love Mm -hmm. and with tenderness and with dance. And so anyway, so I'm, I'm in that practice for myself and I, I hope that my future self will send that message downstream <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm just going to keep
0: practicing yes.
1: practicing it forward to the best of my ability.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And I loved the image of what we could all access if we were whole in all of those complex parts. Yeah. I wish that for you. I wish that for all of us. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Thank you, Carrie. For oh this my lovely gosh, conversation. Beth, thank you.
1: This has been awesome. Every time I talk to you, mm-hmm. the last time Beth and I talked, y'all, we did a podcast interview. And and so we have a pattern now, I feel like, of <laughs> going off course in the most awesome and beautiful mm-hmm. way, in the way that is necessary and, and talking about all the things. And so this has been so deep mm-hmm. and rich. And I, yeah, I'm here for more of it.
0: Awesome, yay. Well, love your work. Uh, the show notes will give uh, info about how you can follow Carrie's amazing work and stay involved. Check out our book, American Detox. We'll put that in the show notes too. All the best, Carrie. Really good to talk to you.
1: Amazing to talk to you. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to Change Making Connections. I hope it has supported your social justice and leadership journey. This podcast was produced by the fantastic team at Alt Marketing Consulting. If you enjoyed listening to our show, please subscribe for future episodes and offer up a review wherever you catch your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for future episodes. Be well.